0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work, the Yalokut-Wilam clan of the Nam. We pay our respects to their elders' past, present and emerging, as we try to live up to their example as storytellers. It's early morning and... I'm walking to work, and oh my, it's cold outside today. This is not the kind of weather I believe I was sold on, but it is beautiful. I'm traveling between two countries when I go to work, but I don't need a passport to enter either. I don't even speak their language. I live and sleep on Wurundjeri country, and I work in Boonaroon country. It's estimated that there were more than 250 to 300 Aboriginal languages spoken when Europeans colonized Australia. And today, all but 13 Aboriginal languages are endangered. I can't help but think about all that's been lost. When a language dies, something else dies. It's inevitable. 50 to 60,000 years of living on, caring for country, vanished in just a couple of hundreds of years. Because speaking your mother tongue was made punishable by law, and by social pressure. I got this text from a friend the other day I just can't stop thinking about.
1: Imagine your mother language being the second most spoken language in Germany and the one you can no longer speak in public as your mother country is currently invading Ukraine. I feel so torn. Part of my identity is just being smashed. When I hear a song in Russian that I used to hear as a child, I cry. I also feel like I'm losing my sense of humor as I am more humorous in Russian than in any other language.
0: When big politics happens, when war happens, it's the civilizations who suffer, the civilians. And sometimes their language suffers too. Time passes, people adapt and language changes. Braunschweig, a city in Germany, becomes Brunswick in English. Last name changes and people assimilate. But sometimes people never even get the option. That's when language and culture gets stolen. The thing is this, we don't all get a fair suck of the salve, which my Aussie friends tells me means that we don't all get a fair go. And my other friends tells me means that inequality is real. We're all in this together. We're all in the same boat.
1: As we say in Mandarin, we're all grasshoppers on the same court.
0: And in Vietnamese, you would say, Một con ngựa đau cá tàu bỏ cỏ. Which means when one horse is hurt, the whole stable starves. And this is true for even those of us who feel a little bit like a black sheep or, as you'll hear in Ukraine, a white crow. I feel like the tension between these two ideas, that we're all one people, and that we're all splendid in our multicultural difference, frustrates a lot of societal progress. So far on the idiom, I've been looking at the ways our different languages shape the way we see the world. But what if your language is taken from you, like it was with Australia's First Nations? Can reclaiming language, including slang, idioms, and stories, help you reclaim and revitalize culture? And what else can we learn from the oldest living society of storytellers on the planet? To learn more, I've invited a friend on the podcast to have a yarn.
1: So I'm Taryn Marks and I work on various things that relate to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advice and consultation, but mostly I'm a proud Watchabullock woman. I'm a mum of three beautiful daughters and uh, live and work on Wurundjeri Country and I'm privileged to do that and to be able to just do the little things I think that help organisations kind of work in a better way to appreciate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but also increase particularly their workforces to think about where Aboriginal people are not at the table. I have
0: an understanding that storytelling plays a big role in Indigenous communities in Australia. Can you help me understand this?
1: I think story oral histories is the way in which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have communicated for tens of thousands of years. And there's definitely communities that have continued those traditions more strongly than others. And it's not for a want from Aboriginal people themselves, but we've kind of been taken away from being proud of our language, culture, dance, our customs and the song lines that have been passed down from generation to generation. And in many communities, that's pretty fractured. And so, which is really sad, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people love a cuppa and a yarn. And it's the way that we build trust and get to know one another. When we meet, you'll see Aboriginal people introduce their mob and where they're from. But it's also a way in which we kind of connect to one another and know what part of Australia, what part of a story a particular person may have come from.
0: What can we learn from this kind of storytelling?
1: I think it's a beautiful thing to think about how one generation to the next can pass down important art, story, song lines, and also knowledges from their community. And so there's a lot to learn in that for people that don't have that in their generations or families dance and expression that is not necessarily about the verbal expression of things. I think that to me is what's really beautiful about what a visual piece of art will tell you or the way in which a song line of a particular country and area and how that connects people. And there's, you know, 300 plus languages that were spoken that are trying to be revived here in Australia. And so They're all connectors and it's where people feel warmth and generosity when we share stories and we feel like we know more about one another, I guess.
0: When I hear you talk now, it sounds so fundamental and healing that I feel like, what are we losing?
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Taking time with whether it's an elder or somebody in a family that does carry the stories and even if they don't seem like profound stories, I think you're right, we're missing so much that it's like a puzzle, isn't it? Like you're missing a piece of the puzzle and it's really sometimes just that sitting and listening or seeking it out. And, you know, that that makes you feel more whole.
0: What role does storytelling play in the transmission of cultural knowledge and values within Indigenous communities?
1: Particularly, I guess, of cultural stories, there's only certain people that have the permission to kind of tell their stories. So it's ideally that Aboriginal people are able to continue their oral stories and their own community and cultural stories. And some of those are permitted to be shared and others are not. There's family, many families often involved in in story, and so it has quite a process, I guess, of making sure that it's transmitted appropriately. But it's, I guess, in the public domain important to be able to, to actually give everybody a sense of knowledge, not just, you know, the oral handing down a story from generation to generation, but also we educate and we're able to communicate with non-Indigenous people the meaning and, you know, knowledges that should be respected and, and also celebrated, shared, and so on.
0: I've noticed in Australia that there is a lot of hesitation and sort of, I don't know what to say, like white glove handling when it comes to engaging or talking about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Have you seen that as well? or And why is that?
1: I would describe it as people feel like they need to walk on eggshells. If they're a non-Indigenous person, that would be maybe associated with shame and guilt and not knowing. And many people want to know, but they have been grown up in a generation where they weren't told. And then for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, I'm a fair-skinned Aboriginal person. And so I sometimes fly under the radar and people will say things around me that are you know, quite quite racist or insensitive. And then for people of color, you know, that's that's really, you know, explicit at times. So it is that we need to be able to move together in understanding our shared history and remove the eggshells, I guess is is what I've heard different people describe, not be handling things with the white gloves. You know, that takes work of healing. It takes work of re educating people and and it's why there's a movement now to have truth-telling in our country.
0: Can you expand on truth-telling?
1: We've grown up in an education system that didn't tell us the truth about where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people existed long before colonisation. And, you know, colonisation is has been a dirty word. So now the movement of truth-telling is about making sure we redress and re-educate the people that have missed... That conversation as part of their education and upbringing, but also for the next generation of young people and children that are currently being educated from kinder right through to university years, that they actually have the content and the knowledge and information that will hopefully help us to feel more equal in this country. I think that when people are curious with the right level of questions and actually it's heartfelt and it's honest. It goes a long way, doesn't it, you know, wanting to share and also where you may be a little bit forgiving if the questions can come across as very naive or sometimes even harsh. But I would hope that it's the approach of people to just at least be curious. And then it is about tempering, I guess, the way in which, you know, you would want to be treated yourself if people were questioning you about your history or your cultural background. I think it happens for multicultural people you know, all of the time. It's something that we all just should come together as humans and respect that we've got stories and backgrounds that then sometimes it is being outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable having these conversations or I may feel silly because I will pronounce what a Danish person would pronounce completely differently. Mm. But it's got to be that we have a go.
0: I know I should be listening more. What role does listening play?
1: In our communities, we talk about deep listening, and that is really connecting with a message and sitting with a message and, you know, letting that be absorbed. It is a beautiful thing, I guess, to be able to be so absorbed and properly listening to all of the words and all of the messages, but also the body language that is conveyed in, you know, in communicating that we miss when we're not properly observing and present it's a respectful thing to just to sit and also to know that it might not be your place to talk. And that's okay. I think people see that as being excluded or not being part of the conversation. But then in other cultures, that's actually just about being respectful to who's speaking at the time and that they have the authority, particularly over whatever is being spoken about at the time.
0: For someone who's curious about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, but doesn't know much about it, but wants to engage with it. What are good questions to ask?
1: I think it's just really starting with knowing that some people also don't know their story. So they may have been from the stolen generations and they may not know much of their own story themselves. That's a good starting point. I have gaps in my own story, having not grown up around my Aboriginal father and his family. And then also in times that I was raising my own children, being on another country, I was welcomed by people. And I asked who were the local people and wanted to learn about, you know, who who were the families. And so I would expect similar for non-Indigenous people to just kind of want to know what land they're on, what education is happening in their their kids, schooling, who they could be in contact with to find local Aboriginal people to share stories. But where that's not available, there's a National Indigenous Television Service. There's many things that we can do in reading books and engaging in, you know, the rich culture and storytelling. We all learn differently. Read a book go online, watch a movie, watch a show, watch a documentary. All of these things are available to us to just better educate, but also to create that lifelong curiosity.
0: What is our shared story?
1: Well, I think it's just knowing that there's 60,000 plus years of history here in Australia, and that is really difficult to grasp in a very short time for people. But having some curiosity about that shared story And understanding how Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people came through, you know, the Ice Age, came through caring for country and now probably are the best knowledge holders for answering some of the biggest questions of our time in sustainability and climate action. So there's so many things that we do share, but we do differently. So it's it's really then acknowledging that we were a colonised country amongst many others across the world and that there's still some sort of awkwardness and tension that exists because that occurred. But if we actually can move forward knowing that 60,000 plus years has definitely got some sort of intel and knowledge system that's worth sharing that might have some different answers to problems of our time that we haven't been able to solve, but also just day-to-day things that, you know, we've often thought of the only way is the Western way. So I think that's the kind of secret source of finding how do we get to the shared space and then also respect different knowledge systems.
0: That's really interesting. Can you give some examples of some of those knowledge systems or some particular examples of those pieces of knowledge?
1: I can't necessarily unravel specific systems of knowledge, but I can suggest some really good guests that we might talk to. I think particularly health, bush medicine and the ways in which it's important to care for country, it's important to care for family and to care for community. There's a holistic way of thinking about social and emotional wellbeing for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So that would be, I guess, the very brief description of we think about health a little bit differently, but caring for country and particularly looking after the mob, eating the the resources available to you on country, understanding different weather patterns and weather systems, protecting the country by having planned burning and understanding how that works. There's so many, so many ways in which this knowledge has not necessarily been respected or given privilege to, you know, big, big discussions that we have around in Australia, particularly flood and bushfire and weather events I would suggest an awesome guest to speak to on some of these systems would be John Davis. Dr. John Davis is a great colleague and friend of mine, but an incredible thinker on Indigenous knowledges and a a great language man as well. But I think that's kind of where you'll have a great yarn.
0: Taryn put me in touch with Dr. John Davis to get deeper into First Nations language and knowledge. John had just come back from a trip out on country, so we jumped online and spoke over Zoom.
2: So I'm um, JD, John Davis, Dr. John Davis. I'm with the Indigenous Knowledge System Lab at um, Deakin University, as well as working for a traditional owner company called Rightways, which is all about strength-based and empowering education for our people.
0: JD, where are you tuning in from today?
2: The country where I'm sitting, the country where you're sitting. I'm sitting on Yugambia country at the moment. You and I were speaking earlier. My country is actually west of Bunya Mountains. Uh, and because of Australia's history, our families were taken away from a range of our different spaces. So it's quite a trek now for my family to get back, or well, we, we do it regularly to get back to country because nothing beats getting back to the closest parts of fire. And um, that's an important part of continuing the thread of our language reclamation and also our, our spiritual place within Australia. Just wanted to sing that out too before we start, before we get into our yards.
0: JD, can you share some idioms or sayings or
2: something similar in your language? Just thought I'd uh, share some of those on country kind of context yarns first. So definitely gun and gunnon or singer. Gun Gunning and gunning's a lovely um sing out of oh, You Poor Little Thing. There's a there's a chair, there's a it's a lovely healing, caring saying about how are you? you know, like are they okay? Because yeah, one of the aunties um when my mother was sick, she got on to the phone to my um elder sister and was Singing out this gun and gun and gun and gun and gun It was all about singing out that gun and gun and that chant. Wanted to make sure Nana Davis is all right. I love that. So the sayings for us about how are you? Are you okay? And um if you're not, if you haven't been all right, that there's that Turner phrase too, where Mob will use gun and gun as a way of, oh, you poor little, oh, gun and gun There's a way they use it in in sentence and in feeling. It's a lovely uh, incantation they do, and there's like I said, there's a, there's a chant for it as well, and then the. Antithesis of the saying, like gun and gun and is uh, your poor little fellow, is a fighting one called uh gully. I love the way our G's kind of roll with each other. But if you ever hear any curries or Murray sing out, gully up, gully up, gully up means they good big energy up and they're going to, they want to fight. So they're going to get to gully up, they're going to fight, they want to fight. Uh, and you'll often hear us, many people in our Aboriginal communities, especially in Queensland, talk about the gully up, the gully up. Yeah. And um, growing up and getting into education and such, as definitely was around the notion of sitting down and having a listen to the yarn. So, Binangari or binangguns means binang and gunts or gari means to not listen. So you don't ever want to be called binungari, binanggun. You don't want to be called someone who doesn't listen. So over the years, I've got big binangs, but I've over the years, I've worked hard at doing that more deep listening. And um, it's been lovely then being growled at, being told, oh, you know, you should listen more. And binungari is our lovely way of saying that. Back on country, as country reveals, there's a lovely saying on country about deep time listening called biunga, 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 That's a call in again to the binang. But the ga, the anga, is about sitting down, just being with it and understanding. The growl's a good thing as well. It can be a bad thing or a good thing. There's a, a lovely turn of Aboriginal English as well. When you hear anyone saying they're giving a growl, they, they may be upset. And then in language, it translates to birango, like you're not listening. And that, like I said, a beautiful change that now I've picked up on country is um, this notion of younger is that uh, if you do take that time, you do listen, you do start to understand some more.
0: Yeah. there's something to kick off on ya. Tell me what the role do stories and languages play
2: in the oldest continuing living culture in the entire world? They are the coming together around the bowl, the circle. It gives you that center of place and understanding and knowing and to hear, like I said, being blessed to tune into those intergenerational yarns and then to tune the ears in more and not speak so much, really tune in and um, it's, um, it's all encompassing. Language not lost, language stolen, especially in Australia where it's been legislated against people being physically jailed. and There's a whole range of terrible things that happened earlier on and I would say still happen in some of our school structures. There's a reason why, like you're in Melbourne now, while you're not hearing the full strength and language bound through the halls of of, of the big towers and such in Melbourne and as compared to you go to somewhere like South Australia, Adelaide, you'll hear countrymen and women Yarning in the streets and that, that beautiful old time language in a constant cycle and loop. And the reasons are in those really heavily colonised places like Melbourne, like Brisbane, in Queensland, Sydney, is because of those legislations and heavy colonisation footprint and moving our people off country to take over country. So that's why one thing we do is just tune our people into understanding that as the most researched people in the world, there's also a shift that linguists, anthropologists, good meanings people. Even like yourself when we, we were first yarning, like get into a situation where you say language lost. It's a trick in our thinking where we're made to think we've lost. Oh, that's no, I know I know in our story, Pa Jerry Jerome, who's married to my great aunt Alice, he was literally that's something we're proud of, locked up in Sherbrooke because he kept speaking lingo. He kept speaking our native tongue and repeating that. So then the grandkids who maintained it, they're able to keep that thread. And then our the uncles and aunties who maintain other yarns outside. But they were literally our elders of the past were actually locked up and um those stories then become the reason why the yards are so the storytelling story, then start becoming our stories of strength. But the great myths of Australia, you know, talking up to authority, the the fair go, it comes from those major stories of strength like by Pa jerry jerome who i just mentioned there is very celebrated by our family groups and cobble cobble and jarrah more represent thousands of indigenous countrymen and women of the southeast yet that story is not footprinted all the way through the education system but they're our stories they're our yarns it gives us strength and education australia's got amazing stories of strength we just don't sing out and celebrate them enough and uh, like i said a trick that mainstream linguists educations and such do is to make language loss sound like, it does, as an Indigenous person The point 2020, it makes you feel like you've lost something and that's an attack on my identity again That too, you know what I mean? I do know that's not your flow, it's a simple roll of the tongue that can happen in English and it just makes you, um, it really makes you question your identity and it makes you think, and that's a terrible thing, that's not creating a safe space, it's not creating reconciliations. There was actually attacks on the identity it was forcibly removed, so that is a part of the truth. The truth-telling part of of reconciliation, just to be real about that, and also understand your not so much yours, but other non-Indigenous whiteness. Like unpack your unpack your racial privilege backpack, and understand when you're coming to yarn. You know these are the impacts of those previous colonisation pieces. And I'd rather be yarning to you in full Burungam and full Waka Waka, but we can't at the moment because there's not that structural powers in place that support that being a regular way of, of doing it within our countries. And there's a whole colonization history which is a part of that. Yeah? You know? What is the consequence of a stolen language? When it's systemically maintained by systems, I want the knowing, like we know that's what's happened in the past. If it's being legislated, educated like that, we're talking breaks of our human rights. It's massive violations on an indigenous polity to not provide the time, the energy, the resource to do our languages, our language revitalization. If we're not being more open to revitalization of languages, then you're increasing the gap between indigenous and non-indigenous advantage. So it's a really important piece because it's the oldest living, surviving culture. The language is needed. So for
0: all listeners, what's the potential when we revitalize these languages? What can we find? What are we hoping to find and regain?
2: You're retuning into the oldest pattern of human relationship and connection in the world. So when we do tune in, and when we hear and see and B, you're grounding yourself in that country, and that and you're creating that to that pattern of vibration, good energy. You're creating that good energy flow again. Because there's been a disconnect because our people were taken off country, and that's that painful parts of country. I mean, you see it in the ecology of the area, the fact that there's over farming, then since our people taken off the hard hoof animals, ruining the um, vegetation and creating salinization where there never was. If we're not all working together as a collective community on that language revitalization, with all those spark, we lose because it's, it's not that's not the way to be as a democracy in the 21st century to, to not support, to not look at, to not celebrate. That's the piece we're at now. Is how do we get back to that embassy, that connection? Because I'll finish by saying that that point, we get it. Unfortunately, in the data where all over Australia, and especially me and yourself as males online in Australia. There's a big disconnect in the mental health and well-being space when so many, an elephant focus on males, can feel out of contact, not connected. So a deeper IK, a deeper Indigenous knowledge, a deeper weave on country, knowing your place, No, it helps rebuild those connections and connectivities that obviously you haven't, over the years of 200 years of colonisation, that hasn't hasn't worked. A big part of that healing is that we're getting our mob back on country, looking after country. So understanding and knowing our words and who we are, our places, it helps you heal and reconcile and be a part of that land and that landscape but i don't have a connection to land that much
0: i do have a hometown this is deeply personal but when i was growing up i grew up by forest and water and even as a young child i would go into the forest and i would listen to the babbling brook and i would say hello to the trees and i would feel i would feel in tune with nature i know the feeling of that forest but what you're talking about here mental health and you know what been stolen. Probably for many of us, it's a connection to land and to vibrations. And I think it's not just only in Australia, I think it's many places. And I don't know what I don't know, but I can now point our conversation with you and Taryn can now point to like, what if we find our way back and we do revitalize that? What does that mean for our health and our spirits? And it's a beautiful thought, but we somehow managed to build our way out of it for some reason. And we've lost something while doing that. While seeking more, we lost something which is now hard to refind because
2: we don't know what to look for. Thank you, ruin That's the that's the power of country of jag and jagged bar. And you just mentioned it there in your in your flows in in the forest I'm curious to hear you unpack what is knowledge systems. I guess that if I start off with that and then branch out is. The notion of the system is that it's bigger than me. So you're always going to have your center of place. And that's what we talk about, us only. And then in the circle, you always need to have a relational weave, that connect. That's us two, like we are here now, yarning. And then that bigger than me, I mentioned before about us three. You're looking at, you're expanding your knowledge out. You're looking at connecting further. And ultimately, you're aiming for the broader collectives. The collectors is where the best energy and the best learnings and the best youngers happen, ruin. And that's us all. And for us all, I mentioned before about my pattern around Bunya Bunya, the place of Bubugunyaman, the place of Mother's Milk. That collective is where you do get to learn that embassatic way, the diplomacy, the how to yarn, how to be, the different roles you take on. So. Systems-wise, what we are working on, the way you maintain centeredness, the way you tune in the country where you are and how you go about doing that. So applying our indigenous knowledge systems is a really important piece. And in all those different spaces around Australia, what we're aiming at is the notion of creating a, a mapping tool which speaks country back through not an eco- not a Western ecologist's lens, not a anthropologist's lens, but speaks country back through our lens, our ways of seeing the pattern of uh, country. We can't bring our stories of connection because they dislocate against Western ideology and thinking. So we're creating a piece which is a way of mapping and understanding country. It's about the regeneration, the fact that we have to look at better systems of mapping and understanding and yarning and translating about our country because in Australia, what's happened then is massive fires, massive floods because this knowledge hasn't been listened to and woven in a way that is respectful to the local land. And that's an important piece, an important part of the. Puzzles. So we're, I guess the signal there is we're bringing out different embassies, the way we come from different countries, together to work out, well, what are ways that we can share our knowledges to create a, a more regenerative way of looking at ecology and understanding country. How can we uh, integrate
0: these knowledge systems into uh, Western education in a meaningful way, in
2: a respectful way? Really good, really good question. When it comes to curriculum infusion, there's parts that are open, which we say in languages bullen open place and there are places that are doer that are closed that, that you should stop your curriculum piece and actually get that's the signal to get an indigenous expert to come in and do those yarns and whereas before in the good nature I've got to say of educators previous with intellectual property and knowing stories a lot of education is just like a, a black wash where there's a whole range of different stories that are taken from all different countries and taught in education where it really should be place based. Country jargon is where you are so in that scenario when you're talking about fire country get them in when you're talking about ecology and looking after the land like that they're important because they're they're operating and working the land now to the oldest living storyline around the around the rainbow snake
0: what are some key challenges or barriers that indigenous communities in australia face when it comes to preserving and promoting their language and cultures
2: it's that structural racism structural racism straight up straight out that's what happens so if we go from these yarns we keep going in ways which don't embrace new opportunities like the voice vote to happen at the end of the year if we don't as a australian nation embrace that then we are going to continue to widen the gaps because that is that's informed choice and i, I know Australia's better than that and i you know i'm very proud of my um, non-indigenous history too and my, my countrymen and women and i know that we can do i know there's a lot of australians who want to do better too it's just that's why something like a voice is needed because structurally the racism is very entrenched and that's why we're needing a, an injection of another way so that more voices like myself and ourselves can get to the table to speak our truths on country and i appreciate you and the space and time just to it, like i said it's, a, it's been a lovely weave the fact that coming from country coming back to home camp off country and then yarning you nationally it's been a lovely um nindus thank you for that it's been a lovely uh yeah and you've re-energized me mate for the end of the week i've got to say I, was, I said i was feeling flat but definitely feel more energy that knowing that there's good people like yourself who are then a part of that and will be a part of that and calling it out because we need the other 97 percent room we need to we need the non-Indigenous brothers and sisters to call out that structural racism too. That's a really important part of the piece of the puzzle too because it, be, it becomes very taxing and attacking on identity when it always has to be you raising your voice as a 3%. A much caring, supportive way is when others take on the challenge. So, and, I, and I'm very hopeful, and i know the mob that I've worked with over the years, non-Indigenous especially, that there is that energy to support. And so it, it'll be that notion of seeing how we go. With the voice is going to be a great example of of where Australia is at, yeah, for me, that's definitely a notion of knowing where we are when it comes to this um, language revitalization challenge. As always, it comes back to how we talk to each other.
0: In this, like in so many things, First Nations communities can teach us a lot about the power of languages and what's at risk if we lose them, about the stories we use those languages to tell, and about how we bring our wisdom together. The Idiom is a production of Think HQ, Cultureverse and SBS. It's hosted by me, Rune Pedersen, produced by Jacob Ages, Jake M. and Stefan Delattervik and written by me and Stefan Delattervik. The SBS team is Caroline Gates, Joel Supple and Max Gusford. For this episode, the artwork has been created by Mandy Barton. Follow and review us wherever you found this podcast and please go and tell us your favorite idiom at the idiom at sbs.com.au.